Hi, friends. Welcome to the Blunt and Curious podcast. This is Erica. And this is Pam. And we're learning to be authentic through having real conversations. So please join us for this episode of the Blunt and Curious. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Blunt and Curious We are continuing our mini series today. uh, And this time around, we are just with Jamaica and Travel for parts three and four. Uh, We started off with a card reading, um, which kind of gets us into a little bit of a conversation about religion. And uh, then we weave our way back into politics. um, And I mean, religion kind of just weaves its way into the whole conversation throughout. Um, but it is, um, it is another juicy conversation that's going to be split into two more parts, part three and part four. Um, yeah, Pam, I'll let you give a little more information. Yeah, I'm super excited about this part of the mini series and how it's going to lead into next conversations that we're actually going to have with India, Jamaica, and Travel. So Super thankful for them for taking this journey with us. But for this episode, there are a couple of things for part three and as you go into part four that are going to be really crucial um, items to take away. Um, as we have with the last two episodes of this mini series, we have provided resources and links. When this episode, we really get into some deep dive of icky stuff. And it feels really heavy even talking about this right now as we're getting ready to release the part three of the episode, because when we started out talking and going into part three, we were going to have a continuation of where we left off at part two and talk about gerrymandering and redlining as specifically as we're going into the stories from our three guests, as they are giving their black female, their woman experience as being black women and the school systems, what it looks like in healthcare and how we've interacted with that. And those were the intentions. But because (laughs) as we all know, in the heavy, icky, nasty shit that's happening around us, we get, we definitely got a little derailed. It was on brand of being able to pick up talking about gerrymandering and redlining because of what was happening right that week as we were recording part three is when we saw the uh, freaking Georgia's new law and the bill that is just voter suppression Jim Crow 2.0 and it's super fucking terrifying and we talk a bit about that and it was perfect segue into conversations about things in our legal system that we do need to fix we've got to have these real conversations and it does take pause listening to folks experiences to maybe help you reassess or reframe what you thought you knew how you've looked at things before and so again just be aware that we Language warnings. I know we have a lot of new listeners through this mini series. We are very comfortable of being our authentic selves. And so we free flow for the way we talk to one another in the comfort of our space. I believe that we create a safe space on the Blunt and the Curious for conversations. It's really important for Erica and I, even as we were just talking through the heaviness before getting ready to get ready to launch this episode. We were talking about it. it's really hard to process through all these things and there's so much to learn there's so many things to do and it feels like we're never doing enough but one of the things that we definitely want you all to know for yourselves listening to this you're working 
it is awesome to listen to other folks' experiences. It it is it is a part of the process, hearing folks' experiences. So maybe you can reassess or reframe things that you've known, or this is content for you to share a comfortable conversation with somebody that you've had a hard time educating or talking to in the past. This this platform, we've created a safe space for folks to be able to tell their stories, be able to tell their experiences from their authentic selves coming to the table. Thank you for listening and taking time. Check out the resources. Again, going back to gerrymandering and redlining, um, I would ask as you're looking at those resources, maybe understanding deeper of what gerrymandering redlining is, how it still impacts the way that zoning looks in our cities that you take a chance to sign up for the Fair Fight notifications. Fair Fight, Stacey Abrams is leading the initiative in Georgia so that we can fight this voter suppression law that was set in place um, two weeks ago that also resulted in the arrest of a Democrat representative for no reason. And she's facing eight years in prison on felony charges. Did you know that, Eric? I, I didn't even know that. I was reading no to our conversation and so I was like checking up and I just saw a new news release that she's potentially facing like eight freaking years of felony charges for knocking on a door while there was a press conference in place but she had a right to be at the table she had a right to be in that room had a right to have a voice in that space and her consequences as a black woman are potentially eight years in prison y'all these are the issues these are why we're doing what we're doing and having these conversations and it's hard and this one gets really hard i i don't know erica you're a champ um for sitting through with some girls from the south that went to a baptist university um talking about their christianity and our experiences with christianity we go deep into how Christianity has polluted uh, the American dream. <laughs> and not to say that Christianity is the pollution. We actually go in depth of how much we love Jesus. And funny, and Erica's even distance of her experiences with religion, Christianity, et cetera. But we deep dive into where there are some icky parts of scripture, of biblical scripture that lingers in our laws and it hurts folks. And that's not cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like I, it's funny you, you've, you've thanked me multiple times for being willing to, you know, have this conversation about Christianity and, and just kind of listen and learn. But this time I think it's mostly in um, part four, I actually get to talk about my own, you know, experience with Christianity and spirituality in general. Um, and it's a really great conversation. I can't wait to get to that part, but in general, just it's always been fascinating to me to learn more about Christianity from other people's experiences. Just like you're talking about how we made this platform so we could have these authentic conversations about people's own experiences and learn from those experiences. I feel like I'm able to do that when you go off on <laughs> Christianity and just like deep dive into it. Um, you know, it's, it's teaching me a lot more than I knew before, you know, I know a lot more about scripture now than I knew before. I know a lot more just about Christianity in general than I did before. And I really <laughs> like having these conversations and learning because, you know, that's, that's my favorite way to learn is learning from other people's experiences and stories. And I think uh, that the most knowledge I've gained and the most, um, 
unlearning and learning that I've done over the past year has been from people's firsthand experience stories. Um, so I'm just grateful that we get to continue to bring these stories to you. Um, so without further ado, here is the conversation with Jamaica and Travel. Pam, you're going to laugh at this. Okay. Well, do you want to, do you want to guess or do you want me to just hit you with it? Did you pull, did you pull Mary? Nope. Oh Lord. <laughs> Even worse. I can't think. So it's hard. It's pronounced Una. Una. Easy does it. And it's kind of hard to tell, but there's like a dove underneath her. That's mm. what I see. Yeah. Chin and this like rainbow prism coming off the wing. Mm-hmm. It's very just magical vibes. Uh, it says there is no need to hurry or force things to happen. Everything is occurring in perfect timing. And I said to Pam, because we just did a card reading for her on the podcast and recorded it. And Una was the last of the cards, the five cards that she got. Easy does it. So she's here again to try to remind us to go easy with it. I know that that's hard to assimilate with what we're talking about because it's like constantly being everyone just, just wow tongue-tied Erica um just the constant hearing of like wait and it's not time and all of that like we don't want more of that I don't think that's necessarily I'm just gonna see what she has to say here pick out some points of her message here. Um, slow, steady progress is best right now. Ease into your new life instead of rushing into it. Don't worry about your purpose or your goals. Make no sudden moves. Um, I'm just catching this glimpse that's like calling me. Do what's important to you and do it with absolute devotion. But remember, that there's no competition for your true life's purpose. So there's no need to worry, hurry, or feel that you have to force things to happen. Interesting card for the conversation. I kind of feel like. I, I mean, think this may actually just kind of pivot into something else. If Travel and Jamaica are comfortable with what that card means of the ickiness of some of the shit that we've been sitting in, even with Christianity. I think if we look at it from a different lens, if like not going into it at the, it's all a part of the systemic issues. There's no negating that. But if we think about some of the stuff that we've all been like talking about of how we're re we're reassessing and reframing some of the language of biblical literacy and seeing the entanglement in our culture and our society. And I think that for this space and for you both even, of taking that like easy does it like you are being held seen heard and you get to mm. focus on you it's not on you to have to like make these moves or like to deal with the shit like focus that energy on like your easy does it what makes you feel comfortable in space and I think that we're learning to own some of that even in the conversations we've been having around Christianity and just reframing and reassessing and I, I think that that whoa that we've been able to take that because we are like easy does it like that shit don't make sense like your goal is not aligned with what sits right with who, what 
my belief systems are and this devotion to like, I'm putting all of myself into like, what's right. And so, whoa, that, that ain't, that ain't it. And I think that that's been really cool for even leading into a conversation to pick back up on government issues and the shit that we're seeing repeatedly and repeatedly happening again. Before we get too deep (sighs) into that, it makes me think of the conversation you and I had last night about how we have different approaches to this thing as well. And that there are different people with different skills and different abilities and different things that they are better at than others. Like I have a really strong, compassionate nature, right? So I can approach a conversation in an easy does it kind of way. And I have the patience to have gradual conversations with the people around me, whereas that's not really you and that's not your style. And that's totally cool. You know, like we have that kind of balance where we have different approaches. And I think like easy does it with, you know, whatever's comfortable for you, right? Go at your pace that works for you. You step into your power the way that suits you the best, you know, kind of like use use your voice, use your skills, use what you have, work with what you have to the best of your ability, I guess, is the point I'm making there. I feel that. Jamaica Travel, uh, since it is just the two of y'all with us this round, you have anything, any thoughts or questions around frustrations around this or et cetera? Thought, what you said, Erica, it reminded me, I watched this one video of this man that basically like infiltrated the KKK and he's a black man and he became like legitimate friends with, what are they called? Masters or I don't know what they're called. I don't but either. From, oh, Jamaica knows, didn't you research them? <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. I research, yeah. Oh, I don't what remember but one, one who was the leader of whatever section and they became like legitimate friends. And it was just such an interesting story because through that, the guy was like, I don't do this shit anymore. Like, cause he started, like once you become friends with somebody, you realize that they are human and you do see that there is like that dehumanization gets stripped in a sense. And so he started seeing the, the errors in his ways, but I'm just like that, is not me like a more power to the guy like great you go you do that you infiltrate the kkk but time i don't have the patience and i don't have the desire to do that or to save somebody like that's just not in me but he did and he like that guy not only he not only took that guy the grandmaster whatever they're called he took like his whole organization because like it started to trickle down little by little they're like no, like this is wrong. Why do we think that? Why am I? This is weird. I don't understand where this came from. And so I just, I wish I could find that. I don't know where it is. I saved it in something and said, oh, I need to write this down so I don't ever forget it. But that just from what you said, Erica, like you're like, you have not even two different people, but in this instance, you have two different people. The people like you're like, I am willing to be in certain spaces with people that I do not agree with and have that conversation not saying that you're not Pam, but you're like, there are some things that you're like, I just can't tolerate it. Like, I just can't. And so I felt in that instance, I'd be more like, but I can't tolerate that. Whereas that guy was like, no. And I'm like, good for him. And I'm proud that he was able to do that. And he ended up saving people. 
from their own. I hate. think we need, I think we need all types of people, right. To get through. Right. Cause the more people we have with different approaches, the more we can get through to different kinds of people, you know? So like some ways will work for some and some ways will work for others. But if we can, we can take that collective approach, right. And all use, you know, like I was saying, our strongest assets or strongest values and put that forward, we can make more of a change with all different kinds of people. Right. Because I mean, allyship is going to get you anywhere and anything you need. Like relationships is what takes you, you can't, you can't yep. achieve anything on your own. So it doesn't matter what that looks like. Hell, there's white people that I cannot stand, but you guarantee you, I'm going to put their name on a resume for a reference because they, they're going to be a helping hand. Like, I mean, that's just the reality of it all. But, you know, I have some family members who have a really hard time struggling with befriending white people, trusting white people, all of that. And I'm, I'm the, they all know that I'm the family member that has friends of all different types of people. And Rainbow all coalition. Yes. And my brother does not, my brother has a very limited group of friends. He's also kind of an asshole. So that has an effect on that too. So but he is just like, I don't know how you can be friends with that person. I ain't got patience for that person. I ain't got time for that person. I can't deal with this. And it's not that I I do, I socialize with just, I like talking to people. I like talking, I like interacting with people. So it's not an issue, but like you need people to get done what you need to get done. So like for me, it's like every black person, and I don't know if I said this last time or not, every black person could go out and vote for the same person that we wanted to win. And it's not going to be enough. Like, it's, it's just would never be enough. Um, there's the numbers just don't lie. There would never be enough. So you need people to come alongside you to be like, hey, we're in this fight together. We're doing these things together. We might not go about it the same way. We might not see things the same way. We might have. And I think the other biggest thing is like normalizing, not agreeing on something and being okay. Um, and we might not agree on it. And we might have a little bit of falling out we can come back to it as long as we're steady making the same progress then hey we're on the same team so that's all I have with that it's just go for the same goal and we can be in it together yeah it takes a village so so you just said something right there Jamaica though that is where my disconnect comes in of how I feel I sit in more even aggression and the easy does it and just like recognizing it is all different for all of us. And, but you have to be aligned with the same goal. Hmm. Like, for sure. and that, and that is where it's, um, I, I can't tolerate hmm. being in spaces and where I have really appreciated like chatting with y'all about like an easy does it and the reframing it, bring it back into the, like this Christianity. Cause I've been able to like reassess and reframe of like, hold up. They actually don't realize like when it got twisted or where they're twisting this shit. And like, and in the name of God, like in recognizing they do have the ultimate goal. And some people are able to reconcile the, the shit people <laughs> with this because that you realize like you have this goal you want to be a good human you want to accept people you want to love people you want equality you just like are s- some people are a lot of the things that I can't tolerate um and I'm realizing a lot of the people I've been fighting with why I'm even so much angrier and I say fighting because I feel like it's one-sided like 
they're not pausing. I'm still getting hit with, I'm seeing both sides or still hitting back with slapping back on like black on white crime or black on black crime or black on Asian crime bullshit. And it's really hard for me to reconcile that kind of like mindset with you are, have the same goal as me to be a good human. Cause it don't feel like that. But then I realized yeah. there's a disconnect in them not realizing how that impacts the other. And so much of that is warped in bullshit Christianity of the lies of this government, particularly yeah. like of what the shit that we're seeing. And so it's been really cool to like, that has felt like an easy does it even from when we did that card reading for me. And it's, I, ain't, I haven't gotten like soft like by any means but it's with due diligence that I've been able to like step into my own confidence of like then the reframing and reassessing and recognizing shit it's bigger than even what I thought or there's a different way to even have these conversations that may actually like be a thing like Travel, you were talking about earlier when we were just chit-chatting about gun control it ain't about taking your guns away it's about putting limits putting controls on things that shouldn't be in folks hands like reframing (laughs) but when you still do that and you do that and you do that and people aren't doing anything different that's where I'm just like where's my boundaries of getting you out oh no I full full (laughs) agree with you on that like that no you first off most people in life now know where I am with things so it's not a whatever surprise to them where I stand with things and so they mostly have put me out of their lives anyways and so but yeah if you come to be a bullshit I'm not having it like there's this is not do you like almonds or pecans better like we, we can have those little chit chat conversations but yeah when it comes to things that matter no there there's no tolerance like there's zero and there's like zero tolerance because there's no excuse anymore like there that's just my thing like don't ask me for x y and z don't don't say this Mm -hmm. to me don't do this to me because it's just so fake and it's just you have access to everything else that you want to have access to you're not going to have access to me like that that is that is closed off if you wanted to have access to me it would have become long before now and that's just where i'm at with all this stuff so yeah like i totally agree with you i have zero tolerance for you not to be real with me and not know where you stand with things like yeah there's no two sides to everything there's that's just not no reality well there is yeah and we we literally had a visual fucking image of that though this week we and i drink out you were the first person i saw posted it the other day of just like jim crow 2.0 of like the two different worlds that we live in and where I've gotten so frustrated and like this goes into just like the, the government issues and picking back up where we had, we're talking about redlining and gerrymandering. Oh, uh, when we actually see a black woman get arrested for knocking on a motherfucking door. I don't have tolerance for people that still have the conversation about two sides and see themselves as good people. I don't know how to have tolerance for the fact that like, but I have other things either. And that gets really icky of like allowing people space and like how you can make room for folks and that you make sure folks have their own like personalities and their love languages seen and met, et cetera, et cetera. And you like want to be this soft person because you are human and you see other people's human. But then you're also like, you don't get 
to quit living injustice. Like no matter, and like, and that's a real interesting disconnect for me that I've really struggled with how to, and so it's, you aren't going to have access to me. And that is like, it is cutting off access to certain people and certain things. And it's hard because it's like, you need to like have awareness. You need to have action. So you need people to do it. So it's, how do you coexist? And then Jamaica, you sent me even your Facebook feed the other day. And I just like wanted to cry of like, this is, and this is why I was even telling someone the other day, this is why I don't know how to not be angry if I exist in community and I'm a people person and I need people. So it's not optional for me to like disconnect from social sphere. It's not optional for me to like turn off Instagram or Facebook. So how do I separate from existing and seeing, cause you are obligated then to say something. Right. I, and I feel like I've been there too. Like of like, this is exhausting. It's weighing on me, but I can't stop. Like I, I just feel like that because it's obvious of the people who said, okay, here's my black square. Here's my thing. And what happened to George Floyd was so wrong, but it's not what happens every time. And yada, 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 bullshit, 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 bullshit. And it's just like, I, I, I can't stop. Like I get angry, not doing anything. I get angry doing it. So I might as well go and do something for the right side of it and be angry while doing it because even in the realm of Christianity, like, like where we were given emotions, like anger is a rightful emotion. Like you can be righteously angry at things that you should be angry at. Like, that's what I don't understand. Like of people who call people who are angry at situations to be angry at, like, why are you always just so angry? Why aren't you is the question. Like that, like, that's it. Like, why aren't you angry? Like, I don't understand how you can see these things and not be angry about them. But since they don't affect you, which is also a problem within itself, then you're not angry about it. But it's just like, yeah, I, you can't be, there's no 10% in, there's no 20% in, you're the in the fight and you're not in the fight. Like, and that's just how it is. And if that means that I'm going to be angry for the next year and a half, so be it. I don't know what that year and a half looks like, but if it's, I'm angry and yeah, self-care and making sure that I, like I really had to start focusing on finding happy things to read, finding positives in my life, making sure I'm asking people what's going well in their life instead of just seeing all the darkness that consumes my life because it's just out there. And so having to find that, but then realize of like, hey, if it's not positive, then it's not positive. We got to find a way to fix that and keep it moving. So that just is what it is. It's, it's allowing space for both, I think. And I, I think, you know, being able to untangle that. And I, I mentioned earlier, I wanted to read a quote and Travel, I want to hear your thoughts from it. And I think you can maybe like, just travel into some topics you wanted to talk about from it. But my roommate from college is a badass educator in Florida, actually getting her PhD right now. And so we've been talking about biblical literacy and the entanglement with the U.S. government. And so some of the stuff about like accountability that we're talking about Jamaica, of like, you can't tolerate it. You're going to be angry. You're owning your feelings. You're not putting them off on somebody else. You're not putting them off on like this illusion that they can go away. It's recognizing you're sitting with it. You're owning it. That's not taught in Christianity. That's not taught in how like whitewash Christianity sits with their issues. They like post to Jesus and there's no self-accountability. There's it's 
somebody else died for my sins, the end. No, bitch, there's consequences for your fucking actions. But that's entangled all in the nastiness that we're seeing, particularly how the fuck when you recognize that our laws like are entangled with it and that it's injustice against minorities. I'm like, that is completely against Jesus. So how do you still keep on claiming Christianity? Don't understand it. But I got this text message today of this uh, quote. It's the guy, it's, I would butcher this person's name. It is N-I-E-U-W-H-O-F. Yeah, unless so, I, <clears throat> I mean, N- I would, I don't know either. I Nuwaf. Nuwaf. Anyway, it says for, so I continue to be baffled as to why Christians insist non-Christians adopt our moral views. Why on earth would Christians expect non-Christians to act like Christians when they're not Christians? And if you want to be ineffective at reaching unchurched people, keep judging them. Having a government that doesn't embrace the church's value lines for lines put into Christians and some great companies, the company of the earliest followers of Jesus, Jesus spent zero time asking government to change during his ministry. In fact, people asked him to become a part of government. And he replied, this kingdom is not mine. So I just, I I think that that is like really fundamental into like some of these issues. And I know we were talking earlier about watching Amend. And did you finish it, Terrell? Have you watched it yet? No, I haven't started. Okay. I'm curious that when you do, I think we'll even get to go deeper into this. But when we were talking the last um, time that we chatted about redlining in the country and just like what redlining was and how that actually that segregation and the brokenness of what we're seeing now it's so fucking crazy that that's even like warped into this white superiority that is tied to some kind of idea of like christianity but i want you to go into redlining and gerrymandering the way that you wanted to pick up on that if you want yeah so I first want to hit on what you, that, that quote, which is an absolute, like, I love it. Cause I am like, I claim I am a Christian. That is who I am. However, do I expect the laws that govern the country that I am living in to be completely Christian? No. Do I think that there needs to be a basis of just typical human rights that should be, that goes beyond religion. That's just freaking human rights yes but can I like can I inflict my beliefs that I have onto everybody else and that's not their belief like and then I already I I I sent you a or no I commented on a post I don't even remember what it was about but um uh Christians wanting their law to be final and be for everyone and I'm like uh for people that really look on the Middle East and hate on Sharia I'm really trying to figure out what it is that y'all want here. Cause this, what like Sharia is what you're asking to happen in America. And I may be not saying it right. Maybe Sharia, I don't know what it is. But um, basically where the religious law is the law of the country. That's not, first of all, we live in flipping America. There's so many different people here, different religions. So, and did it, did it, I mean, if you're a Christian, didn't God literally send Jesus to do away with it? Yeah. Like to, I did away with the law. Like I come to it's not finished. abolish law, but to complete it. Mm-hmm. It's finished. Yeah. 
So that was on that. You just, you mentioned that. And I, <laughs> this is like, I don't know what glass. So I'm feeling it, y'all. But I, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to make any sense today. <laughs> no, but, I think you're making perfect sense. And like, just tying that together. That's, it's so real. Of Like, you're so afraid of other religion spaces and like how, and you condemn and you look like them. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, when you look at those pictures that's posted up, like, they want to take these, like, ISIS pictures, and they got their gun strapped with their religion uh, on the background of it, and then you see, like, Christians with, don't take my guns, and there's scripture behind it, like, you look the exact same, but what's the difference, or, like, the fact, like, my thing with the whole Christianity thing, and like Travel said, like, that's just who I am, and I believe that Jesus would have squared up on a bitch. I just do. Um, same. Same. I, I mean, a just, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it, it just think that he would have squared up on somebody because he ain't taking no shit. I mean, like, yeah, whatever. But anyways. Oh, uh, he did square up on people. He did. He did he square did up on people up on all people. the time. That is scriptural. <laughs> it is. He squared up on people all the damn You're time. But like, I'm about to toss these tables. Like, y'all are yes. really like Jesus was and, the Jesus then, not here, here to play. <laughs> not playing games with y'all and so then on top of that you want to sit here and you want to say just because you use scripture that it's correct like we want to sit here and defend white supremacy and defend little orange man and everything else within scripture because he's sent from god these people sent from god and i was like y'all sat out there and whooped people and quoted scripture you you sat out there and beat people and said it was in the name of jesus like you would not even let them read a Bible and then beat them. And, and the fact that black people can even claim Christianity is baffling to me anyway, because it was used against us. Like it was, it was used to oppress us and to keep us thinking that we owed. Yeah. Like in, yeah. enslave us. Like, and so like, but that's the issues with the U.S. using scripture and yes, using this platform, right. and that is some it's of the, the roots same of it. Thing, but that's that isn't scripture. It isn't Paul, but it's not Jesus. And Christianity is Christ-like, and Jesus did not talk about obeying the laws of men. Jesus turned over the fucking tables and wanted to come after the tax collectors. Like he was ready over it. Paul, on the other hand, up held the law of the land <laughs> and the social norms of the standards and what do we fucking see today and so i wish you just call it like it is and like what you are doing but it is not attached to christianity it is not christ-like and it is truly in, in, in ingrained into even in ephesians when paul is speaking to the and eric i know this is not erica's lane but i feel like we can't even talk about government issues in the united states and not address you can't white evangelical Christianity. You know, I <laughs> I watched all 28 minutes of the video that you sent me that you specifically oh. <laughs> spoke about scripture. So please go off. You did. This. You did. <laughs> um, in Ephesians, um, when Paul's talking to the church of Ephesians and like Christians today quote this all the time, but it's literally what we're seeing happen in America right now. Ephesians five starts out with this obedience law of children obeying your parents, but it goes even further in Ephesians 5, where Paul tells the slaves of Ephesians to obey their yeah. masters. Mm -hmm. That always, I was like, I don't, 
I've never been able to read that. And there's so much that I, when I go through the Bible, I'm like, okay, maybe I'm not understanding a certain, and I'm like, no, no, there's no way around this. I don't understand it. There's no excusing it. I'm sorry. <laughs> there's not. I mean, no, not at all. And I think that like, why evangelical Christianity takes those things and these people like they also weren't fucked up people and put them on some pedestal like that's not a love story sweetheart like that, that these are like still this is the book you're gonna read and say that you want to buy like and live your life by then these people weren't perfect people and they screwed up and that's just that but if we like I was listening to Red Flag there's a podcast called Red Flag that talks about the Confederate flag and it talks about in Mississippi and how in the new flag they wanted to keep in God we trust on it the governor wanted to keep in God we trust and one guy said I'm a Christian my core values of who I am like I'm a Christian but didn't we say we wanted the flag to represent all like isn't that our goal to represent all so what's going to happen in five ten years when someone comes in and they said the guy that you you believe is not God I believe in and he was like nope I would always have that so once again you are stepping on toes of others that you have no business stepping on because you want them to believe what you want them to believe in. And then once you get them to the place of where you want them to believe, then you want to change who they are altogether. Like mm. the thing for me in white Christianity in those spaces is you almost maybe want to not be black, like in those spaces, because you completely changed the way I thought about music the way I thought about dressing the way I thought about praise and worship like everything that to the point that I was like they were like black churches aren't real churches because they didn't go to seminary or x y and z you know that you have to have a degree to preach scripture or you have to have it didn't XYZ help it didn't help when they did it didn't help look right. at Dr. Martin Luther right. King it still fucking didn't right. help right you still, still dead, murdered so him <laughs> And so it was just like, there was all these different things on top of different things that you try to use Christianity with. And even, but even within scripture and even with the words of the constitution, you're not upholding either one. Like you're not, neither one of those things fall into place. Like, you know, I don't, like that's why I don't say the pledge, like the whole with liberty and justice for all is bullshit. Like when it does, then I might say it, but it's, it's not happening. Like, even if it started happening in my town, in my state, and hopefully in my nation and in the world, like I know it would never be a perfect world, but if we literally fought for that every damn day, then I would have no problem saying it. But we don't, we don't fight for that. We see that every day. I'm, hell, we saw it in Georgia. Like, I'm not saying that and y'all sit there and arrest someone for knocking on the door because she wants, she's a lawmaker and she wants to see what has been written down. Like, and so... I'm not here for the bullshit. I'm not here for you to say, give me your poor, give me your tired. And you got kids at the border and you're saying, like I sent to you the other day when someone was like, they're already stealing away from my grandchildren's opportunity. The fuck? They're kids. Like, and then you say, Jesus loves the little children. Like it's it's all just like man, so it only just, your little children then. Right, right. And another thing I've always, this is side note, and then I'll get on to gerrymandering and uh redlining, but I've always I've always been a, a different child. 
I remember in um, intermediate school, they had a shirt that said property, like that was a shirt that they had that said property of Miller Intermediate and everybody was supposed to get it. And I remember I, my mom's like, don't you want a shirt? I said, the fuck I do. I didn't say that because I was in fifth grade. But um, <laughs> I was like, no, I don't want anything that says I am property of anything. So that just reminded me when you said about saying the flat, the pledge, I've never felt completely comfortable saying that I pledge my complete allegiance to a, to a piece of cloth. And the represent, like, I understand that the cloth represents the country. I, I'm not from here. Sorry, I'm an ambassador. It's not my home. It's not. I don't like, I'm, this is not my home. This is where I live. This is where I currently reside. When I die, I'm not going to be like, I'm not pledging allegiance to this country because guess what? I could have been born somewhere else and been just as faithful there. Like, you know, it's just, it's, it's dirt. We live on dirt. I'm not pledging allegiance to dirt. And I know yeah. that, you know. <laughs> anyway, but let's go on to Jerry. <laughs> I was going to say though, Jamaica, are you going to, are you going to plug in and educate us a little bit right here on the flag and yeah. monetary resources in the United States or Travel? Do you want to do it? <laughs> of why we have the flag and mass production and it's even a thing. <laughs> It's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so it was literally started to be sold to make money, like to actually just like get this notion out. Like it had nothing to do with this. Actually, we represent something. It was about money. Nobody wants to talk about it. Anyway, continue. I can't, I can't even because of all the actual, I just have to, as a military sister and have military family members, the flag that's so important to them and we have to treat it properly and follow the rules, right? It blows my mind that there's all these codes of how you're supposed to treat the flag, yet all of these people that love this flag so much see them driving around with tattered flags that should be burned. I see them wearing them on their persons all the but time. They, they, they see the flag and they have swimsuits. And they I, have I can't say that I've never had one. I've, to be fair, I've had but one. Like, I've had one. But they have. It's just it blows my mind to see an actual genuine like you care so much about this flag, right? And you, but then you wanted to have it tattered, and that's like what. Just the lack. But that's weird because there's a disconnect because even though it's this representation of there's a strong need to like hold to something a tangible thing and travail like your discomfort of an item that is so disconnected from values in the united states it's been ingrained in us to see this cloth this piece of paper as the valuable thing and not actually what the fucking flag stands for yeah and there's a disconnect in those values and it's like if we I'm not mad at you for supporting the flag. I'm not mad at you if you wanted to care for it with that much attention and that much grace and gratitude if you enacted what it meant. Right. Yes. It just, I, I think I popped onto that because you were saying like it's, it's come about because they wanted to make money off of it, right? But then there are all these codes of how it's actually supposed to be treated. So it's just so like contradicting, but look at where we are. <laughs> world gerrymandering redlining we actually made everything's hypocrite <laughs> everything's yeah anyways into that please Travel. sorry <laughs> well now i now you got me thinking about thomas jefferson and i was on a whole like i'm looking through my notes at this whole other thomas jefferson's coming home <laughs> <laughs> sorry i don't even know where it is but i was just just 
making me think of the idea of America. Like the idea of America is amazing. Like the idea in theory, if we actually executed everything that this constitution actually says, this country would be a freaking amazing. But y'all messed up in the beginning of all men are created equal. Well, but we don't mean women, <laughs> but we don't mean Native Americans, but we don't mean Asians, but we don't mean black people, but we don't mean Hispanics, but we don't mean like, I mean, in theory, it's great. Execution, it's a little fucked up. Anyways, on to gerrymandering. Um, so I have the, the pulled up definition here. Um, gerrymandering is one of political groups. So let me start out with how this came about. So I was in my, I used to work for an organization called Buckner. Um, and we dealt with a lot of different families and trying to basically get them up on their feet in whatever manner possible. And we had to take a poverty class. And, you know, I thought I like, okay, I understand poverty. It's just, and I may have said this last time, I can't remember. Um, but, oh yeah, poverty is just my money. No, poverty is not a financial status. It's a mindset. And we had to learn about impoverished mindsets and that you can give the poorest of the poor a million dollars and it will be squandered within a day because there's not the education set up behind it. And you have like, you have this thinking, like you've been poor all your life. You have this thinking of, I have it, I've got to spend it. There's no thinking of looking to the future. And they broke it down to where uh, um, a lower class person, a middle, uh, lower middle class, a higher middle class, and then an upper class and how they plan for the future. And, um, and I was thinking like, okay, I guess I have like, I have a lower middle-class mindset and like I plan, I don't plan 10 years ahead. I might plan for like a year in advance in my mind, but financially I only plan for a couple months ahead if, and that's recent. And so we were just going through just talking about what this means. And that was great because it prepared us to help the families that we were there to serve. So we don't have the mindset of, oh, we just, you know, just give them money and just throw money at it. And so I'm sitting in my room contemplating, and I think I was just really upset actually with one of my family members, um, or not upset, I think I was disappointed. Like I wanted them to do something and they didn't end up doing it. So I called my mom and I asked her and I'm like, mom, why can't black people get it together? Like, what is the deal? And we ended that conversation and then I thought about it and I'm like, well, when did we just get like, you know, basic civil rights? My mother was a child, okay? And so I'm like add, doing the math and adding everything up. And I'm like, well, the rest of the, not the rest of the world, the white America has had 300 years on us. Whereas we're still babies, still trying to figure this out. And even then, once we're given a little something, it's still, how do I explain it? Like, it's still not, it's, we're still not on the same equal playing ground. And that's where I brought into, that's where Jerry- that's where, And that's where there's not been equity. There have, yeah, there, the there equity does not exist. No. There's never been allowed to be equity because it still is like in like ingrained into laws into the systems, mm -hmm. and that would have to be the, at least the first step. Keep your own personal fucking opinions, I guess, but at least in our legal system, in our laws, in the structure of our government, we have to address those systemic issues, and that's where the equity comes into play. And yeah. that is where we can write in laws for anti-discrimination, for protection of rights, for actually looking at defunding and restructuring what fucking police in America looks like 
for mm-hmm. those reasons, because the equity, that's the equity piece of these conversations. Changing the systemic oppression that exists in the country. And people are like, oh, it doesn't. And I'm like, I clearly remember learning about this in eighth grade. And here's a definition of gerrymandering is when a political group tries to change a voting district to create a result that helps them or hurts the group who is against them. And so it puts more votes of winners into the district. Um, they will win to the losers win another district. That um, So that's more on a political side. And then redlining is um, basically a discriminatory practice that puts services, financial or otherwise, out of reach for residents of certain areas based on race and ethnicity. Now, I remember clearly my thought process when I first learned these definitions. I was like, so we have it recorded in history of how these systems are in place, but yet we still have people, like there's they're in place to oppress those that are minorities, yet there's still doubt of what this country was founded on. There's still doubt that these these practices are still in place. Like it's in the history book, but it's still ongoing. We learned about this. Like it's in our textbooks. And I don't, I was just trying to find the disconnect of why we're still having the argument. It is in the way your vote, when you get your voting ballot, it is in the way that your voting ballot is aligned next to the person that lives a street over from you that's attached to a different community. It is still very present. It's in you wanting to take your kid out of another school district to put them in another one. It is literally the system that you are struggling against. Even white people themselves struggle against it and won't even fucking stop long enough to actually pause and realize, stop fighting the concept of systemic issues when we live and abide by principles like gerrymandering and then the social impacts of what redlining is from the gerrymandering everybody you you interact why are you denying what you're interacting with is like but that's just where I, that's where i wanted to go and also i because i've been reading stamped as i said before and just this is something i've noticed within the black community that jamaica and i talked about basically black bougie and you see it all the time in movies. Like there's, what's this one movie that I really like? There's two. Well, no, one. Um, with Idris Elba, is it, I think it's a Tyler Perry movie. I'm not a huge Tyler Perry fan, but whatever. With Daddy's Idris- Little Girls? Don't do Yeah, that. Daddy's Don't do Little that. Girls. Yes. Where the, the what's her name? Julia. Yes, you know, I'm never make a fool of you. <laughs> time out. I just want y'all to know that you know how my mother refers to Gabrielle Union? I'm so excited for this. No, she just is like, yeah, Dwayne Wade's uh, wife. And I'm like, that's that's how you refer to her? Like, I don't, I feel, anyway. She is Gab Union. <laughs> anyways, I just thought it was funny. Cause she's that like, anyways, I'm like, mom, you've been watching her for decades, but yet, now this is how she's referred to but anyway so she is this highfalutin lawyer and then Idris Elba is I don't is he a mechanic he's a mechanic and so just the her friends were like yeah you could date him you could fuck him but there was the issue of like you can't be with him so there's within that a class issue and where was I getting with this oh highfalutin black people have been conditioned by this damn country to even look down upon those that they feel are not in their same sphere for whatever. And so I was just, 
anyways, I don't even know how to connect the two. I was like, that was where my mindset was because I'm, I'm, I'm like, that's what, that's how my family was growing up. First of all, they're from the islands. So there's a whole different, uh, mm -hmm. there's a whole different view of black people in America. And so like, I had to train myself. Like I had to, I had to train myself to get out of that mindset and get out of that thing. Like, you're not better than anybody else. I don't, I don't understand why you're sitting here thinking that you are. And, but that's a thing. Because we were, we were told that ghetto was bad. Like yes. that, that like we were told that if you were too loud, you were ghetto. If you wore your clothes a certain way, it was not professional. That if you yeah. wore your hair a certain way, it wasn't professional. So when we saw other black people that looked like that. It was like, well, I'm just told I'm not supposed to look like that. So I'm not yes. supposed to talk like that. So I'm not supposed to act like that. But these are my people. Like, I mean, people are amazed when I start talking about stuff and I say, well, this is what my family looks like. And 90% of them don't talk or act like me. Not that that should, or like when you say, you don't speak like most black people or you don't act like most black people, like that whole little gaslighting yeah. thing there. But it's like, that's because we were taught that. We were taught that to make money, to be successful, that I had to model, model it, or not even model whiteness that looked like that. Yeah, yeah it was just like, we, we weren't taught that black people could look like, like Terrell says, what well, black excellence. And we weren't taught that they were supposed to look like excellence. Like there was never those images that we could look at and say that was a black person. I mean, when you think about it, when we talk about like our founding fathers, and you know the name, like, you know, Thomas Jefferson, and you know, he had this mistress named Sally, but no one really knows Sally. No one really knows her family. No one really knows her kids or anything like that, you know, and they were all black people. Like, yeah, they were descendants of Thomas Jefferson, but, and we know that Sally was his mistress that he supposedly loved or whatever, but like, what was her life like? Like, why don't we get to hear that? I mean, that's not that there's probably not any history of her anyways, but like, we sit up there and they, we like, oh, well, Thomas Jefferson, he he was, he couldn't bend for slavery. He liked black people because he had a black mistress that he kind of loved, but we never hear about her. Like she was never placed in this thing of someone that I can admire. Like if she would have been married to Thomas Jefferson, would she been a woman that I could look up to and be like, man, she was married to a founding father, like, and aspired to be like her as opposed to, I mean, like, as like a yeah like you see like gab union you see the tracy ellis rosses i mean like watching girlfriends that i had no business watching growing up like they had four different types of women and like they were all so drastically different like tracy ellis ross was bougie lynn free spirit maya ghetto hood and then you had tony who wanted to be real bougie and it was just like they were all trying to find their identities as black women but they didn't really know where to look towards and they always had beef with kind of each other sometimes because Joan was trying to be too bougie and Tony was trying to be too this and this like it was so it was not a we've been told that yeah that blackness or black women weren't something you could aspire to be so when we start seeing it it made us look down on people who didn't look like that because we were told we weren't supposed to look like that as if like so I but no Pam you had a question go ahead no, I just, I, so I've been, you know, watching Amend <laughs> and learning more about Kimberly Crenshaw and the concept of intersectionality, you know, two decades later after she identifying intersectionality as a black woman and I listening to even 
both of you speak on the concept of having to like wrestle with identity of black American versus, you know, from your family being from the islands, Travel to Jamaica, you even having to deal with like not acting a certain way because it was too black. So then that was a disconnect with your family. I don't know how white women or just like women of all spaces, like aren't the motherfucking loudest black lives matter, like, or just like minority space holders of like where that intersectionality is because this concept of the identity of what is professional, what is your attitude supposed to look like, what levels of aggression look like for women, how we're supposed to show up, what the life of the outside of the house role looks like in this country is solely based off of a white male perspective. It is entirely based off of white male principles for professionalism to how we have to dress, how we're supposed to cover up as women. That is, you know, ingrained like many of thousands of years of like proper, you know, civilizations of women identities and women's roles, but even more so in America that it's so tied to our rights in a workplace for women, for your dress code, for your space. And so I, I'm, it's so crazy of one of the things that I think is such an issue or we're not able to deal with the gerrymandering at its core, deal with what we're seeing with how our system has divided our communities with an agenda, because similarly, this country is primarily that lower, that mid middle and lower. And it is a plethora of people of all color, of all ethnicity that are doing that look down approach. If I'm out of this struggle or this thing is different or this neighborhood is different. And I was even thinking like when I was listening to our last like part of our show, when we were like chatting and I was talking about my school, like the high school I went to, or even like in Marshall, calling those places hood. That is such a social condition. Like what the fuck was like hood? even like in marsh like there were but what was it though like what was hood but that's a social condition of like the presence of black people the presence of blackness and then that is like adopted to then the classism issues and it's it's so gross and that just like goes back to I just don't understand how women like all women aren't at least like meeting in this place of intersectionality because it's still all day I mean I can understand why a lot of white women aren't because I, what was that show called that was about, it was on Hulu, it was about the ERA. Can't remember the name of it, but anyways, Phyllis Schlafly, who came up with the opposing like organization to fight everyone that was fighting for the ERA and made it like a difficult battle, made it last forever. Like there were white there are white women right and she was a wife of someone in politics so she was also involved in politics educated wealthy but there are white women that are conditioned by the patriarchy and by white supremacy that truly believe that these things are better for them like that's just like when you say why I'm like well I can think of quite a few white, white women that are quite comfortable in their situation and don't want to rock the boat and don't want to, don't want to make the noise. You know, I wish more women would wake up and see outside of 
all of that conditioning, more white women would wake up and see it well, and more women in general, right? Because whitewashing kind of trickles down all over the place. I wish more women would kind of get out of that box of, of that thought process and be louder, like you're saying. But anyways, back to what we were talking about. I was just going to ask both of you, like you live in very different communities, even in Texas. Like, what does that look like from just how you see it on local levels of, you know, the type of people in your towns and in your area? Do you see this, like the classism that exists because of these actual concepts that are wrote into our system, like gerrymandering? (laughs) Do you see that in the both communities? Is it different for both of you on local levels? Okay. Um, I don't know. This is actually bad. I only know the social makeup of where I live. I don't necessarily, no, that's a lie. I do know the political makeup as of recently because we're like, it's a blue county. We're in Harris County, but um, I grew up in Leaf, which is we used to call it the international district when I was in school. And now, and then I came back home from college to see like, oh, it gets an official title now. Like we literally have signs that say ID everywhere and with the world and it's like international district. So um, we, I grew up in an extremely diverse neighborhood, a diverse community. Yet I think it became that way after um, we rezoned and it's, it's very much so like, I remember because everything changed. So I grew up in a neighborhood that was predominantly white. My parents moved here in the eighties and my mom was terrified that she was going to find a burning cross on her lawn. Um, luckily she didn't. There were other things that were said, like my dad, like they, people said a lot of stuff to them, but, um, Cause they were like, maybe there were like three or four black families in the neighborhood that, and that they knew of. And that's because they like stuck together and we're like, Hey, how you doing? Like, let me introduce you. This is this neighborhood. But anyway, after fourth grade, I believe we rezoned. And as a fourth grader, I shouldn't know like what that meant, but I realized what that meant because white flight happened and all of my little white friends are moving to Katy, which is the outskirts the suburbs of like a leaf is a suburb but then it they moved even further out to um katie and cinco ranch and my school looked a lot different all of a sudden like i was a little pepper in the class there were like two of me we had tons of um southeast asian middle eastern like we had tons of asian people we didn't have that many hispanic people yet anyways so that all literally changed within a year school looked completely different and from that point on it's always it's always looked that different um so yeah that's that's pretty oh but that did i realized that i lived in my little international bubble and i didn't realize this until i moved to um not even to etbu because etbu was its own little bubble until i moved to carthage but it was me teaching my students. And I didn't realize that there was such a divide 
between the races and it was so prominent in the school. Like the school, like Carthage was literally split right down the middle, like 50-50, um, black and white, maybe not 50-50, it was like 47 something else. And then you had like 1% that was Asian and 1% that was Hispanic. And you don't know how many come to Jesus meetings we had to have where I was like, guys, <laughs> like this is ridiculous. There were so many racial issues and that I didn't quite understand because that wasn't my life. I didn't grow up in that. I grew up with everyone. So it was very eye-opening for me, germ. And I grew up the opposite. <laughs> and I, cause I grew up in a very rural town um, where we, but we also were the only one out of three families that were black families in the neighborhood. So the only house I was ever allowed to go over was the other black people in the neighborhood. The only house I was ever able to spend a night at were my black friend's house. And like you said, as a kid, like I didn't, I didn't really catch those things of why I could stay at only such and such house and not at whoever house. But like, I mean, it was, it was told to me at a very young age about segregation and integration and how like my grandparents in East Texas, my grandmother was a military kid. So she kind of grew up in East Texas and then went to El Paso. And then, so she kind of finished school with a mix of people cause she was on a base. And then, but my grandfather um, grew up in the sticks of center Texas, um, Southeast Texas, where um, if you watch Amend, if you watch 13th and they start- and they start doing the, uh, showing the images of the lynchings. Uh, my grandfather's uncle is one of them who was the last man lynched in center Texas, um, that we have no rights or anything over that image. And so that's what he grew up in. He grew up in a place that was just chaotic. And um, my mom grew up in Longview slash Fairfield. And my grandparents on my mom's side grew up in Fairfield and went to Dogan, the all black school here. And so from a very young age, I was no, like, I knew what Dogan was. I knew what Fairfield High School was. I went to Fairfield, um, but it was always very, I mean, we had a very heavy um, Hispanic population, but it was still more so black and white. And all the black kids rode together, all the white kids rode together, except for people like me who kind of just kind of was a floater. And I kind of just floated to wherever because I was very conditioned in, white Christianity so my realms kind of went with the black kids but then it went with the white church kids and did all that because my church didn't have a youth group and so um it was just it was just crazy because I never understood I never heard heard those words before about redlining but I never could figure out why all the black people lived on one side of town like I, I never could figure out why I was only three black families that lived on the in the neighborhood that I lived in and why all like literally my grandma lived here this is her house you cross over the street next door that was her brother's house cross over this street it was her dad's house and on this street it was her brother's house and I could never figure out of why they all lived in such close proximity of each other on that side of town like why like Travell said why wouldn't you make something better of yourself why wouldn't you do that why like you know yada 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 and then it dawned on me like redlining in my town is so small that it doesn't even look like redlining in some of these cities like when I moved to Providence but like here it's like you don't have 
it was you had the access to the black school that was there and that was it like that was all my grandparents had that was only the places they lived to and could move to it's the only jobs they could really afford to get to you know and my grandpa will tell you to this day who never went to school with white people said that he thinks the integration was the worst thing that ever happened to black people like he just he just doesn't buy it like he it's just like because all of my teachers all the people that taught me who were in my corner and did this when they made us all integrate they weren't teachers anymore they they didn't get to have that opportunity anymore they didn't get to teach they didn't get to be educators they were given the scum jobs and now we were back to the bottom of the barrel like we had to work our way once again back to the top like you know so we were finally given something because black people at one point weren't given the right to read or write and then we finally got the right to read and write and then we become teachers and and uh principals and start hbcus and do all this stuff because we didn't have anywhere else to go and then we're just keeping being knocked down to the bottom of the of the pole <laughs> and so mine mine was a bunch of like just confusion growing up because i had all this history that i knew about but i was more in corners with people who didn't look like me and it was just this mesh of i don't know what was going on and what was happening until i think until after i moved back or maybe it was probably right after etbu right before moving to new england and then kind of coming back that i was like that still is a thing in fairfield like that zoning is still a thing that redlining is still a thing because people are always like you can find a job you can do that you can leave fairfield well it's like well you don't want people to get abortions so they have children and then you tell them to go find some job that's going to pay them minimum wage no benefits no nothing to get out and i mean this is for poverty people in general but then you got people black people in these neighborhoods already and then like here recently two weeks ago we put in the curfew our sheriff department put in the curfew for teenagers that they're going to give them citations and a misdemeanor if you're out past 11 p.m like i'm just like because it's it's been car break-ins at the time first off the, the teenagers aren't doing that like there's been on my little ring app it shows me who breaks in like and it hadn't been none of them like breaking down the street hadn't been none of them and so it's just like there's more things that keep being centered around how to get this population of people into more trouble when I sat there all last year and tried to advocate for this old, old black school to be open for a community center and to be open for black youth. And now they just put it on the market because they don't see any use for it. And so then we go and we implement a curfew because there's no place for those kids to go. And most of those kids don't want to be at home. Like most of those kids don't want to be at home and or their home life is, is terrible. And so it still just has this ripple effect and affects me daily at school too, because you see all these kids come to school who live in these neighborhoods and who live in places they don't have access to much. And then they'll become a discipline problem. So now they're in trouble in school and now they're in ISS and now they just are a troubled kid and now their grades flunk and now they just drop out and now they got a record. And that's just what even keeps happening in this little bitty town that, like, that I live in of like, you know, they they've been given this this starting place that didn't line up with these kids this other starting place and so they're already 
10 steps behind and then they're trying to catch up but we keep knocking them down and knocking them down for ridiculous things they have no control over and then you're mad at them because then they become criminals but you didn't do anything to help them out or you'll sit there I've heard several coaches and teachers be like he'll never make it he'll never do it he'll never get out they'll never never do anything well you weren't saying that when he was scoring your touchdowns he wouldn't you weren't saying that when he was doing this math for you on this basketball court like that was never that like I literally heard somebody a kid walked up to a coach in basketball season I'm sitting behind him to say hi to this coach and his family hey coach how you doing yada 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 gets up gives him a hug like is happy to see him he decides to go play basketball at some little school in Kansas. And he says, ah, you know, COVID happened. So we had to cancel our season. And I think I'm just going to go Juco somewhere in Texas and try to just go to school. So they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He walks off. He goes, he'll never make it. Looks at his wife and said, he'll never make it. This kid just walked to you and to just greet you because he appreciates, he thinks he appreciates you so much in his life that you've done so much for him. And that's what you think of him. First off, he's already made it because you don't know what he's have to go through to even get to the part that he's 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 at now. So he's already made it. And for you, like, and it didn't even register what he said. Like, it bothered me for weeks that this man said that because, like, it just doesn't register in your head that this kid is making it. Like, he is doing the best he can do with the hands he was dealt and his hand was pretty shitty. And but you didn't offer up any services for him. You didn't offer up anything for him to say, hey, this is how I can look out for you. Yada, yada. You literally just said he'll never make it. And then you're going to be pissed off. He ends back up at Fairfield selling weed on the corner and then be like, well, all he's doing is selling weed on the corner. You told him he legalize, was going to make it. Legalize the weed and let him be the number one entrepreneur in, Fair, in Fairfield. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I just, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, you're mad at him for doing what he feels he needs to do because you didn't give him any option out because he didn't know any other options. Like he didn't, he wasn't given opportunities of parents who knew people to sign up for scholarships or, or aid or whatever that was. And so you sit up there and you just, now you've just blown his whole world up. And he was like, it was pissed me off. He was so happy to see this man. And all you said was, he'll never make it. As soon as he walked out the door, he'll never make it. And it's just, and I just see that cycle happen so much here. Uh, we praise these kids as kids. It's kind of like that little shirt with the little black boy that say, when do I become a threat type shirt? It's like that here of like, when do you think that I don't have any more potential? Like, when does that potential end based on where I grew up? Because it's the kids that were all grew up on that side of town who end up all back in Fairfield in a shitty situation with nothing to go from because you didn't give them anything to work with. Like, and their parents didn't have anything to work with because no one gave them anything to work with. So it's just like this ongoing cycle that will never end because no one's ever getting an opportunity to know any different. And then you get pissed off at parents. And we're like, no one helped them. How are they supposed to help someone? And they don't know how to like, they don't know how to help themselves. Like they're doing the best they can with the hands they were given, but you're not doing anything to be helpful. Do you, I, I think with this whole I am just in all of, it's so interesting to hear both of your perspectives and different parts of the South of interacting with the zoning because Texas is like known for zoning. I mean, Texas hardcore was zoning and rezoning and then a rezone again. And then they get like locked in, like fight over how they're going to rezone all the time. Mm -hmm. It's so weird. But this, and we've all like all said it in this call, even of like when it's the, 
you haven't given them anything or you haven't given them any opportunity. This is where we're all going back to recognizing, thinking about the systemic issues of gerrymandering and where that divide is actually the system and it built into place segregation. So you desegregate, you made segregation illegal in theory, gave rights, and then you found your loopholes and you've all adopted and allowed for it to be adopted. And it's you all as in, it's been the contribution of everyone that votes for things that allow the zoning to still happen. It's everyone that still allows for things like what happened in Georgia to happen. A closed room of a voting bill, suppressing voter access, going into place. And we yet again, we're just gonna like arrest a black woman for knocking on a door because you didn't want her to see you going into the loophole yet again to build into the system. Sorry, go ahead, Trevelle. No, I'm just really, I need to look more into that because I'm just really confused of how this passed on party lines when isn't the majority in both Democratic? So not, so not for the state though, for the federally. state though, this is why they think this, it is. for the this state, is this is, but it is, Georgia has, they are keeping, they literally closed the doors ignoring and then arresting and calling it a felony for the majority being represented by yet another again black women stacy abrams and all black women in georgia and can all black women in georgia carrying the weight of all this shit to knock on a fucking door yet again because it's these loopholes it is these things that are the system and is this that has allowed it to happen and for what representation looks like. And that's the equity we're talking about. That's the equity that's needed of like, we can't go back and undo. It's shitty and it's been shitty, but what we can do is to write in protections. We recognize it was an issue. We recognize that you are breaking it. We can have anti-discrimination laws. We can write in more rights for black people, we can write in more laws to hold cops accountable. It's those we can things- make women equal. We're not yet equal. We can, as a nation, not let states like Arkansas ban trans folks from healthcare. That should, why does our government get, why the fuck does Fairfield get to tell teenagers when they have to be inside? Right. Give people protection. Said we can tell them when to be in the house, but we can't tell them to wear a mask at school. You know, that's just, just, it's just mind blowing. We can govern their bodies with telling them not to wear a mask, but we can say you got to be in the house by eleven. But we're gonna give you a ticket. So screw you getting your grandmother sick by being at school with somebody else. But and and that's and that's negating because what? How? Like, what's the age limit? I think it's seventeen. So we're making it 11 o'clock, but you took down the mask mandate. You don't have equal, like actual livable wages. Most 16 and 17 year olds, I imagine, and probably some 15 year olds in Fairfield, particularly people of color are having to work until 11 or past 11 for places that are open even later. Like, let's not start about, I mean, I'm sure there's a Whataburger there open 24 hours. And I'm sure there is a black man. You don't have a Whataburger. We don't have shit. We don't have shit. Well, that's, but that's the thing. That's we don't have anything. So, but then all, so all it's even further, even, even further away. Yes, they're going to drive to go to work. It's worse. Well, if they're not working, 
it's like they don't have anything else to do. There's not a skating ring. There's not a mo- Literally, we don't have anything to do. There is nothing. There is zero. I don't even know. There is a disc golf course they put up about a month ago that is bogus. There is a city park. And then there's like, that's it. We got a McDonald's, a Taco Bell, and a Brookshire's Brothers. That is it. Like, it is two there's three street lights and that's it so you don't give these kids any opportunity to do anything they've been in trouble at school or they're riled up at school because they don't they don't understand the content because you're telling me i gotta teach x y and z teaks every day and don't slow down for any reason until they pass this test yada 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 and so then and then you just go and tell them be home at this time whatever 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 so whether they're working whether they're at a friend's house whether they're at their other parents' house, whether they're, I mean, we were roaming the streets doing what, not at my mom's house, we'd be in by the streetlights. We the grandma's house who lived on that side of town, we were just out. We was just being dumb kids out because there was nothing to do. And, and that's what it is. It's like, you don't give them anything to do. You're not trying to help them. If you're going to have a curfew, have an alternative. Like play something in effect in that city that is going to be like, okay, here, we gave them an out. We said, here is something. That, this gym is open till 1030. It's open to 1030. Then be at home at 11. At least give them some type of opportunity to, to do something besides sit there and wonder how to be out the house and doing whatever. But you don't even, you don't want to give them out. It's the same, it's the same sheriff's department who sat there and pulled over a car because it had a Black Lives Matter sticker on it. So there's that. What? What did what was that? Just got pulled over for having a sticker? Oh yeah, my our old principal, this old old our old principal is, I mean, as white as white can get. And Mr. Wade, my rider. And he was talking to the sheriff one day. Sheriff was talking to him. He hears in the background this guy's running around in his big old yee truck. And his windows are tinted too dark. Pulls him over, whatever, lets him like it's having a powwow with him. I think it's like one of his son's friends or something. Starts having a powwow with him, lets him go. Well sees another car drive by tenant windows no he didn't pull over the first car he knew who the kid was he did not pull him over it's what he said he did not pull him over so then he sees another guy with t- these same tenant windows looks at him has his car has a bumper sticker that says black Lives matter decides to whip around and turn around and like start questioning him and all this about yada 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 and whatever so this has nothing to do with what the legal tent should be but this man specifically said he had a Black Lives Matter sticker on his car. So I turned, I pulled him over. And Mr. Wade said, you know, that's racist, right? Like, you don't think you have any racial bias in your department? He said, no. He said, did you not hear what that guy just said? Like, he literally just said he pulled over this guy because he had a Black Lives Matter sticker on his car. Like, that was it. That That's what you... So like, that was it. That was it. And he was like, oh man, you know, I never thought about that. Away. What? Excuse me, sir. You're a sheriff and you never thought that it's kind of racist to pull over somebody because they have a bumper sticker on the car, but you don't pull around, pull over the guys that have the Confederate sticker on their car. You don't pull over the guys that have the little uh, Roman numeral three with the stars around it, guys. Like you don't do all that shit. Like that's not even uh they can't legally pull you over for something like oh, that. Oh, they legal they they do all I got pulled over at the Oh, age welcome of to the South. No, I know I I'm just over, saying yeah. like that's just like that's not You're even right. so why would it not register for you if that's not actually in the law as exactly. like running this department is what I'm kind of saying. You know what I mean? Like Oh yeah. 
Oh yeah, it's not. It's there's so well, many things that are unjustifiable. Is Fairfield one of those? Is Fairfield one of those places that has like irrational laws around like colors and certain like gang symbols or signs? Because like in Shreveport, they did and like enlisted like certain like standards and regulations and blah 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 for like an assumption of gang related colors. And so if it was an assumption, but I was again where are you pulling over folks with like confederate flags and it was literally a movement right. to destroy an entire race yeah, of humans exactly no it's not like when i was i just got in my driver's license going to my aunt best house who happened to be the justice of peace in the town and um and i'm heading southbound this cop is heading northbound and i am like i'm 10 and 2 16 like uh, you know driving this 92 honda Accord. And I look in my rearview mirror and I'm not speeding because my speedometer doesn't work. The gas gauge doesn't work. The air doesn't work. The heat doesn't work. Don't nothing work in this car. So I'm like going. It turns on. <laughs> it tur- and it barely does it. You could take the whole key out the ignition. It will still run. And uh, it, it was it was a mess. And so I'm driving this little beat up Honda. Once again, splitting. There is Highway 84 and southbound of Highway 4 is South Bateman. North is North Bateman. South Bateman is where all the black people live. So I'm heading southbound and I'm driving a little Honda, whatever. Shoot, whip somewhere on, lights on, and I am terrified. Like, and not just terrified because I'm black, but just terrified because I just got my license and I don't know what I did wrong and whatever, whatever, whatever. So he literally gets out of his car, walks up, looks in my car, kind of just checks around, walks around. I doesn't ask me for my ID, does not ask me for my insurance. I got it all out already, ready to go. Doesn't ask me anything. Looks at me, says, I thought your inspection sticker was out of date. Leaves. Like literally just looking all in my car. That's what he said to me. Leaves. I go to my best house and I'm like a nervous wreck. She's like, what's wrong with you? So I tell her, and when I tell you this man did not know who Beth judge beth gibson ireland was and this woman ripped this man to shreds when she got back to the office on monday all right good old Aunt beth r.i.p was first justice of peace in freestone county and um and she just like she let this man have it like she just let this man have it first off you just shouldn't you had no bounds to pull me over like you had none you saw me going southbound in an old looking car and you saw a black female in the car so you decided to go and terrify this kid that I like, and I am like, I was so scared. Like, and it was just that I still remember it 15, like however many years, 11 Again, years the, later. The equity, not considering yeah. what that trauma looks like. It's those behavior modifications that need to be controlled. It's that's the kind of shit that we need, like rights and legalization, like action taking a place, not fucking curfew for teenagers. It's profiling needs to be actually right. put into space because that trauma does stay with you. That like that is the shit that does hurt and it lingers and that's the shit that's not okay. And that's where it is. Like we are, we white people are all responsible for being aware of these stories and listening to these experiences of like, that is where we have to start fighting of not trying to tell you that you're not going to get something or that we need more out of you in any other way than to stand up what's for fucking right. And profiling being wrong. Let's just start there. Let's just start what that looks like. Profiling the neighborhoods. Cause like I wasn't even 16. Like I can't even like I'm cringing as you're telling that story. Cause I was, I think, 19 or so. 
Oh, was, I was 19. It was our sophomore year of college, Travel, And I had to like go back home for a year and I was doing home away and living with my family, but my car was broken. So I was using a loaner and it was in 1995. One of those like Ford, um, it was like town cars, <laughs> the big Ford, like long yeah, yeah, ones, yeah. whatever. And it was, I called it red velvet because it was white on the outside and it had, it was like those old police cars. But it was like yeah. white on the outside and it was all red velvet from like top to bottom, red steering wheel, red handles, like red. Get you a crown Vic, crown Vic. So when we we're talking even earlier about just like the social like conditions to thinking like what hood is or like where redlining and gerrymandering, where the zoning impacts the assumption, the profiling. My mom lived in a trailer park over in what was assumed to be more of a hood spot of Shreveport on south side, southwest side of Shreveport. She lived off Linwood and I was using this loaner car as an 18 year old coming up out of a trailer park at 19 years old at nighttime. And I'm not the best driver, but I <laughs> got pulled over because apparently I didn't turn my blinker on to turn out of my mom's neighborhood onto the main road what apparently I didn't turn a blinker on to come out of a trailer park to get onto a main road why would I not turn on just like I turn on a blinker on even just like switching a lane because somebody else was like gonna cut me off and it wasn't even my prepared action I likely turned a blinker on but even if I did it you pulled me over for not turning a blinker on but I get pulled over. He comes up, the officer comes up to the car and I am like, not okay. Weird. And it's dark. I have a thing against, I'm terrified of men. I'm terrified of men in this like part of town where I know people like go do shady shit where they shouldn't be doing it because we can blame it on other people. AKA people assume this is a black neighborhood. So we're going to like always blame the black people. And it's a white officer. I'm terrified as single white female, 19 years old by myself, your car is the number one related to theft car in the area. <laughs> this was, I was like, I have all the papers in the, in, like in the inside, my adopted dad is friends with a guy from Ford and I'm, it's a loner. So I have paper plates and a paper sticker and everything, but like, here's the paperwork. And he was like, well, I'm going to have to verify this is kind of not the best area of town. So I don't trust you. <laughs> like, so we're not, I, we're not turning on a blinker. No, he, I so, clarification. So because it's not the best area of town financially, I'll, I'll finish what you told me. Trust me. And it is you assume I have lack of money. Like what are we equating money with 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 character here? Well, yeah, because it is the number one theft car. And so he just wanted to make sure that I wasn't in trouble because you know some of those other people target people like me. And he needed to make sure that I was safe. Because I could like be in trouble because this car could be white girl. (laughs) it needs to be rescued from the bad neighborhood and i'm like i want to go into the neighborhood and i would rather knock on a stranger's door for how little trust i have in this situation because i just don't i have a problem trusting men like there's just like a line trauma in that space and so 
you are not a figure of protection. You add that of like what we women still don't have rights. And did you just realize that they was it fucking Minnesota just signed into law yesterday that if woman has been drinking, then her rape case is just not even going to be seen. Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I was like, this can't be real. Like, let me look into this. This can't be real. This has to. They fucking did it yesterday. It's fucking real. If she's been voluntarily drinking or taking drugs, if she is raped, it's like people well, better be glad that I that I never mind. That's too much information. I'm gonna let that be. Oh, that's what I want to know. Like, okay, if this person is, if yes, I've been drinking and I've been taking drugs, and this person um is in the act of violating me, if I shoot, like you're saying that basically I asked for it. So if I shoot them and kill them am i exon- like should i can i be exonerated am i still going to be convicted because they asked for it I don't <laughs> oh no probably thing. not because you're operating a weapon under the influence so how dare you how dare you do anything under the influence i can't even uh, <laughs> it's crazy how dare we I- do a podcast under the influence <laughs> I know I'm not stringing all my sentences together and I'm about to go get another glass <laughs> I think we're doing just fine I love I love that y'all have like y'all are truly making this like real life experience tied into there there's I've, I've said this so many times there's truly life-changing power in storytelling and just I guess giving people more opportunity for relatedness. And I really had my feels about like having to relive trauma to tell people's story, to bring awareness, blah, blah, blah. I feel a certain type of way about it. But y'all are actually like sitting in, like just giving real life experience to tie into things that we can do to fix it. Not taking away your white rights, white person, not telling you that you're bad because you're white, white person, but it is laying at your feet because you still have this space. You have not allowed equity. You don't get to say, and we've given, given, given. No, you haven't. You still aren't even- Well, there needs to be, there needs to be acknowledgement and there needs to be accountability, right? And in that- Like it it needs to be, stop fighting it, acknowledge it, accept it, be accountable for it and take steps moving forward that aren't moving fucking backward but all of these fucking white people are so afraid because they think it's a goddamn pie and they're not gonna have as much as they want so how dare they give equal anything to anyone well yet again this mini series is definitely one of my favorite things that we've done <laughs> i'm so Same. excited for <laughs> and i'm like and then I think about it. I'm like, oh my goodness. I just love all of our episodes where we do get to sit down with our friends. And I'm so excited that we're getting further into that being our space, the blunt and curious and gives me a moment to realize like we've only been doing this for four months. So it's super exciting. But with all of the content that we just heard from our friend Jamaica and Travel's experiences and all of us interacting together and how our experiences look right now, the things that are happening in the world, I would ask that everyone listening feel free and comfortable as you can to take a pause and just sit with where you understand or didn't understand things or where you want to learn more check out our resources in the description for this episode but again we can just just take those pauses and let it sink in let feel 
feel the the stories. Storytelling changes lives. I believe that. I think that this is part of the space that will change the world as we listen, pause for other folks to talk about their experiences, to hear their experiences. So thanks for listening to this one. And Erica, thank you so much for coming in with the friends and like making a fun way to keep doing this mini series. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just so grateful to have met these women and to be able to call them friends at this point, you know, and to to be able to have these conversations and learn from them and just listen to their stories and take it in. And, you know, like I, I said earlier, it's, it's my, it's been my favorite way and the most impactful way for me to really learn new things, um, is to listen to other people's personal stories. Uh, so I hope that you are all learning from this, enjoying this series. And please, again, I'm going to reiterate what Pam said, take the time that you need to get through it. If you have to listen to it in 20 minute intervals and 30 minute intervals, whatever you need to do, do what you got to do. Like you can only do what you have the capacity for and that's all that there is, but you do need to be continuing to do some kind of work. So, you know, take it at whatever pace you can. Um, but let's keep doing the work. Let's keep learning from each other's stories and let's keep loving on each other. Like we all deserve to be loved because we are all human. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the blunt and curious. You can find us on Instagram at the blunt and curious pod. And if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Your support, ratings, and reviews help others find us as well. And again, thank you so much for taking time to go on this journey with us.